Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name is Adrian Lester. I'm Joanna Scanlon. Terry Minot. Bronna Taggart. John Joe O'Neill. Sarah Ball. Tom Riley. Kate Fleetwood. John Heffernan. And I'm Jonathan Harden. And very, very soon, you'll be listening to a brand new series of the Honest Actors podcast. So, series three, 13 brand new episodes will be with you this side of Christmas 2018. Keep an ear out. I can guarantee that the people you've just heard speak will be part of that series. No surprises there. There will also be a few more surprises that I can't yet talk about. So keep an ear out. It's coming your way very, very soon. In the meantime, though, I've been keeping busy. It's TUC Young Workers Month this November, and every November, actually. And as part of that, I've gone back and spoken to the emerging actors and also recorded a special live podcast for Equity. You may remember that two years ago, I had a roundtable discussion in Spotlight with seven emerging actors. That video went online on YouTube. It's still there. If you haven't already seen it, just search for Emerging Actors Roundtable, and it should be results number one and two. Anyway, I went back, met up with all the guys two years later. So all I wanted to find out was what had happened in those intervening 24 months. How had their careers gone in terms of what their expectations had been and also what they'd learned along the way, if they had any wisdom to pass on to people who might be in a similar situation or even slightly further back in terms of their career. So have a listen. I find it absolutely fascinating. I hope you will too. The live podcast we recorded last week at the New Diorama Theatre, it was hosted by Lorna Wallace-Taylor and features uh, Emily Barrington and Sean Biggerstaff. It's well worth a listen as well. For now though, Here's another emerging actor. My name's Jennifer Kay, and you're listening to the Honest Actors Podcast. So first of all, it is lovely to see you. So thank you very much for chatting to me again. You're um, welcome. Second of all, thank you for arranging the use of your wonderful agency. Very convenient for both of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it means I don't have to drop it down the office. Perfect. And they're letting you out, which is even better. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, I don't know if you went back and had a little looky at what we did before or listen or anything like that, but I did. <laughs> um, and the base of that, I kind of had, I guess, some questions that are largely universal in that there were certain questions I wanted to ask the whole group and there were certain questions I wanted to ask individuals based on not just on what they'd said, but just what had come across as being their level of aspiration and expectation about what 
the next, as it turns out, two years might bring. Um, so I guess the way to start is by asking one of the big things people were concerned about was would they get an agent? Now you had an agent, I guess, prior to going into drama school. So before we get to the question, I should probably ask you to remind us where exactly you were, like what was happening to you around that time? Gosh, yeah. So I'd been working as an actor for quite a long time and I'd sort of reached a bit of a just a bit of a wall with the kind of work that I was doing. I had an agent, but, you know, there are so many tiny little agents around the country that it's almost, I'm not going to name names, but it's almost not worth having them, do you know what I mean? I think a lot of actors fall into the trap of thinking that um, any agent is better than no agent, and I don't necessarily think that's true. So I, I left my agent when I started at Arts Ed. Um, yeah, and then was there okay. for a year. <laughs> so, so to kind of round that circle, as they say, um, you came out and did you get a better agent straight away? How did that happen? Um, yeah, it was a funny situation, really. I, I had been applying for lots of different agencies and um, I went to, uh, I was at my, I was after my showcase and a friend of mine came over and said there's oh there's this co-op agency and they just mentioned to another one of my uh, classmates that hardly anyone had applied to them um, and they were a little bit disappointed and I thought oh, I applied to these people and they hadn't gotten back to me so I thought I'll just be really ballsy and I just walked up to them and I said oh I heard that you, you you've just said to my friend that nobody had, had applied to you I just wanted to let you know that I actually did and um and I kind of assumed that you didn't want to take it any further with me and they both went oh oh we didn't we didn't know and and I think somewhere along the line my email had gotten lost but they invited me in for an interview there and then um and here we are. And here we are, literally, yeah. So it was a case of me kind of being in the right place at the right time with a friend of mine saying she'd just overheard this conversation. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here at all because I'd assumed this agency hadn't replied to me. So it's a aside, bit of luck, really. Well, aside from that lesson, which is to kind of keep your ears open and respond to situations <laughs> as they kind of develop, um, you're with a co-op, right? Yeah. Um, so... I, we were kind of chatting briefly before we started the record and I was like, no, let's not talk about this now because it's interesting. Certainly to someone who's never been part of a co-op and always thought it seemed like a really good solution. Uh, tell me what's good for you about being in a cooperative agency. Um, yeah, I love it, actually. I sort of said when I joined them, because I'd never been part of a co-op before, I said, oh, I'll give it a year and it's, you know... It's been it's kind of coming up to that time now, but I've no intention of of leaving. I like I like the fact that you have complete control over what you're being subbed for. You know what you're being subbed for. You learn so much about the industry, all of the technical jargon and stuff like that. And you start to learn when actors are like having the piss taken out of them a little bit. Um, learn what's acceptable you know I think when you're sat on, on your own on your computer applying for this that and the other and you go oh well it's 500 quid I really need 500 quid but it's for an Audi commercial <laughs> you know yeah 
just I suppose just learning I've, I've learned so much and also you know I moved down from from Manchester without knowing a soul and now I've got a network of friends from my drama school and I've got a community and a network of people in my co-op who I can ask literally anything kind of daft questions or and people who've been in the industry for like 50 60 years who yeah who've got loads of experience and I just like the it's kind of like being in a in a little family and I like that and it works for me and does it ever get difficult um one of the things you you mentioned before we started recording was like you know how much you've been submitted for yeah and I've always struggled to know where I stand on the whole for example, the yes or no thing. I was always quite vocally like, I don't give a flying fuck. Mm. Like, if I don't hear about it, I'll assume I haven't got it and I've got to make my life interesting enough that I'm not waiting to find out. And I've kind of swung the other way. But when you said, you yeah. know, like, well, I know I've been submitted for X amount of things this week. I guess that means by the middle of next week, you know, you haven't got an audition for X amount of things. And while ultimately, if you do get an audition, you'll find out whether or not you got it yeah. fairly quickly. Um, do you find that knowledge of just the numbers involved, the, st the stats, the sheer volume of things that people get submitted for, do you find that shocking or did you find it initially kind of difficult to kind of get your no, head around? No, not really. I, I find it really heartening, actually. Like, I've, I've, I've never been one who's like, oh, my God, I've been submitted for 10 things this week and I've not got any castings. That's I, I just go, you know, well, that's just the way it is. But I find it really heartening to go, there's someone in the office looking after my career, subbing me for 10, 12 things this week or however many. And if it doesn't go my way, that's not because necessarily of me. It's because at, at the initial stages, my face doesn't fit and I'm okay with that. I think a lot of actors, though, like I think we all, without, I am going to make it for about myself. I like to live in the kind of blissful ignorance of the things that nobody wanted to see me for. Because say I get seen for something once a fortnight or once a week, right? Um, I consider myself lucky, but I also know that to get those. The agent's probably submitting for tons of stuff where people have went, no, I'm not, I don't, don't like him or he's not right or whatever. And I kind of feel like someone once said to me years ago, never ask to see what your agent submitted for you for because you will just be terrified <laughs> from that point on. Like, If you're talking to your friends who aren't in co-ops, what kind of things are you able to offer them in terms of insight into how the industry works? Because obviously the flip side is you have a really good handle on how the industry yeah, actually yeah, works yeah. and the realities of it in a way that I wouldn't. So what kind of things do you are you able to kind of give your friends um, in terms of wisdom or advice or anything out of just having been part of this agency? I mean, it's like what you just said, like, I, I, I would disagree with, you yeah. know, um, because I think the more I get to know the industry because of being in a co-op, I know that when when I'm subbing my, my, you know, the other members, that they're in a pile of like a thousand and I'm in a pile of a thousand. <laughs> but no, but that doesn't upset me because it's like... It, they, if they scroll through and they and they go past my face, they're not like I don't want to see her. Um, it's more passive. It's more that. passive, yeah. yeah I guess. But those ones who do get me in, they've scrolled through a thousand and they've gone, oh, oh her. And I find that really exciting. I find it less 
hurtful not getting called in somehow. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I, th I just think, you know, if you don't get called in, well, fair enough. But because... I think being in a co-op gives you more of an insight into what is happening on the other side of the table because yeah. we speak to casting directors and we speak to uh, directors and you know that it's not as personal as, oh, no, I'm not calling her in. And, you know, it's not as personal as that. It's they in their head they have a sort of look and if you just happen to be that, then then they'll get you in and I don't think you can take it so personally. Um what if, aside from being part of a co-op and all that that has given you, what have been the big lessons of the two years since we last spoke? It's really tough. I suppose one of the biggies is, like, there are so many people going out into the industry. Like... Everybody can act. Mm. Everybody is good at, has been trained, you know, is good at what they do. The, 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 what sets you aside and what keeps you going in the industry is how much you behave like a business. Um, and that's, for me, that's the big one. And I, and I guess that's why a co-op works for me, because I really want to treat myself like a business. I'm constantly looking for work, constantly networking, going to workshops and meeting people and investing in oh I might okay this workshop's really expensive but I'll get into that kind of sphere of people who also went and maybe I'll meet people and yeah just acting like a business really it's like we were talking about joking about tax tax returns before we started and yeah I've just done my tax return and I've just I've got my spreadsheets and I've got this and that, those kind of things, they keep me motivated. They keep me acting like a professional and not pinning my hopes and dreams on something that I'm not day-to-day -day doing anything about. A um, couple of things come out of that, which I think are multiple threads that I'll follow up on all of, hopefully. One of the things that I think is interesting, that I find it personally interesting when actors speak about acting as a business, um, I always wonder how many actors if they sat beside anybody else that owns a small business and they talked figures, would the small business owners say, it's time to call it a day? <laughs> and how long do we run at small profit or loss or just enough to get by before we say, let's close the sandwich bar, right? Because if it was another business that you weren't emotionally involved with, those those decisions would be so much easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, you'd said... And I'm not looking specific figures here, but I, I've asked everyone. And one of the things you said was when I asked as part of the application procedure, like how, how much money do you expect to make in your first couple of years? Did you get close to what you'd anticipated? Was your first couple of years, have they been disappointing, surprising about what you'd expected? Like, has it been in any way surprising or shocking? Um... I can't actually remember what figures I put down, but I, I can imagine that I'll have been conservative. Yeah. Um, I would say I have been positively surprised fractionally. Okay. So it was six to nine K. That changed, I think. I don't know. That, that's, yeah. Was, which was the sounds, average. Sounds pretty conservative, and yeah. I think the average income for an actor in the UK is about nine. Yeah. Right. So 
Um, so you were fairly conservative, and I guess that comes out of you having had experience before then, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, do, do, do you find, as someone who's talking about, you know, treating it as a business, do you find that social media and all that marketing stuff plays a part as much as, say, the kind of lifelong training, the going to workshops? I think it's really important, yeah. It's... Um something that I'm still wrapping my head around and getting a handle on, you know, how frequently all? you have to do it. Like, I get doing it and I think, yeah, I think if you really want to make a huge impact, then you have to be on social media much more than, like, so what does that I'm mean? prepared to I'm, be. I'm really lost. I mean, I think it's probably, it's not a generational thing because I know people older than me that are much more active yeah. on social media and good at it. I just... I find it really difficult to unreservedly promote myself. I think you have to have a strategy. I mean, it's, again, it's like it's like being a business, and it's a strategy that I don't yet have. I think you have to have a strategy of like how many times you're going to tweet using like TweetDeck and Insta and all of these scheduling programs that you can um, set up to tweet and use your social media for you in advance. And literally having like a, um, a strategy of how you want to present yourself, what you want to say that you're doing. I'm currently not doing it because I'm just not right now prepared to spend more time on my phone than I already do. But I think it's tough. Like I mean, because I go right. Say, I think say from from the honest actors followers, I reckon the average actor has on Twitter is somewhere between two and five hundred followers. Right. I'm just confused as to why tweeting, this is again a conversation not, it's not about you hmm. or I, it's a bigger thing and I think it's just interesting to get people's opinions on. I'm not convinced how tweeting that, okay, even if you're in a show, that to those two, two to 500 followers of most, of whom most will be other actors and virtually none, if any, will be casting directors or people who actually have mm. any kind of say in the industry. My concern has always been that all we're doing is making our peers eat our shit. <laughs> like making our peers go, who aren't working, go off. Because I know I've unfollowed people in the past month on Instagram because mm. all they do is post pictures of their kids or their, or their jobs and I can't be bothered with either. So I'm like, but I post pictures of my dog constantly. So like I'm guilty of it. But it's like, I just, I can't get my head around it, Jen. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I get why we're Do you think it's like a generational thing? Like, like, because when we started in the industry... It didn't exist, right? It didn't exist at all. I suppose it, it's, it's hard for any new change to really See, take effect in your practice, My it? wife always says the people she really admires don't aren't on social media. The ones she really admires. Mm. Now, of course, the ones that we really admire tend to be, like, having been around the block. So, they, A, they don't need to, even if it was essential, and B, they're a generation older than her or I. Mm. So, yeah, they, don't, they really don't need to. But there is something of that, I guess it's how it's done. I know people who post stuff about work and manage to make it kind of entertaining or whatever. But I just, that thing of a, a photograph of a script with a highlighter beside it, like, you know, preparing for an audition, hashtag actor's yeah. life, hashtag, like... 
And the only reason that I use mine is like a professional kind of log of the things that I'm up to, the things that I'm in and the workshops that I'm going to. I don't really expect it to have any great impact, but I suppose, you know, if someone's looking to cast me in something, they can see my CV and they want to see a bit more about my personality, then my Twitter page is like a safe version of my personality because oh, it's like a I'm, bit curated, but it's also busy. I'm fucked in. <laughs> um, they'll know that I'm a horrible, horrible human being. Um, okay, so moving off social media. Um, actually not. Uh, moving off personal social media. Big movements of the past kind of two years. It's fair to say the industry has... There have been moves afoot in the industry that affect us all over the past two years, particularly the past year. Um, and I imagine uh, will continue. So likes of equal, rep equal representation for actresses, the likes of the Me Too thing, the likes of um, uh, big pushes for diversity in casting. Do you feel connected to those things? Do they feel like they're part of your industry? Have they had an impact on you as someone who's been in the industry slightly longer, certainly than the other of the emerging actors? Yeah, yes, yes and no. Um, yes, in the respect that seeing all, you know, the spotlight links that come through on a day-to-day -day basis, I can categorically say that there's a, there's a huge push for um, diverse artists of all kinds of diversity, um, e even down to kind of positive discrimination. You know, we're only looking for an artist of certain colour or disability or something like that and I find that really interesting um, but still like this morning we got a spotlight link that came through looking for <laughs> young actresses to walk around virtually naked being all sexy and hypnotic for an immersive piece of theatre where they would interact with the audience for £70 a day and it we we just well, we we just sent it straight to equity, but it's like these things still come through. These this nonsense still comes through. Someone's had this great idea. Wouldn't it be amazing? We'll get these sexy semi naked women to come I can and just <laughs> see. I can just see the guy that wrote that. Like I can yeah. envision him. Like I know yeah. what he looks like. Still, we still get things like that, and we still get breakdowns for short films where there's one female oh, character and short film she's is someone's the worst. girlfriend. Short film is the yeah, worst. Yeah. Absolutely the worst. Every time I see a cast and breakdown. Sometimes I film. want to send a message back and say, can, can you see what you've written here? You know, and I think it, it, it I mean, it's such, such a huge conversation, but it boils down to the, the culture and the nature of the person creating the work. Mm -hmm. And if that person can, can't see behind, beyond their own nose, then they're only going to cast and look for and create characters that are like them. Yeah, but the, I mean, the kind of karma is that the work's going to be terrible anyway, so good luck to them. Like, I mean, But it still floods the industry. Totally. And it stops people working. It stops women working. It starts women over the age of 30 in particular and under the age of 60. Like, you know, people of colour, all sorts of massive problems with it. But the work will never be any good. So, you know... I think being aware of these things is its own reward in a way because um, it makes your work more interesting, I imagine. Anyway, um, taking a slightly sideways step here, um, you've recently become a married lady. Yes, I'm a grown-up. Yep. yep, I can do things how like that. Has being an actor 
had an impact on your personal relationship, not just with your husband, but personal relationships generally? Do you think uh, the sacrifices, let's say, that have been made for your for your chosen career, do you think they've had a, an impact on, and will continue to have an impact on personal relationships? Yes, they have, but I've been doing this for enough time now that my friends and family kn know me and know what I do well enough that it's accepted. I remember when I first started and I used to get people, you know, people couldn't understand why I couldn't commit to going to a, a concert on, you know, or booking a, booking a festival or booking a weekend away. They just simply couldn't get the head round why I couldn't commit to doing that. And I'd say, well, because I don't know where I'll be. What do, you, what, what do you mean you don't know where you'll be? You know, you haven't got any work now, so you're not going to get any work in the next month. I'm like, well, just tell them you're not available. Yeah. <laughs> just tell them you're not available. Mm, it doesn't really work like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, get, I went through a period of my friends asking me, come to this, come to that. I went through a period of not getting invited to anything. Um which I found quite sad. <laughs> but now I'm at a stage where the friends that I have around me are those who understand my life and understand the the fact that I can't commit to things. And, the, you know, there's a peak kind of com commitment kind of time frame. If you ask me two weeks before, then That's I'm likely perfect. to tell you exactly where I'm going to be. Mm, two weeks is perfect. Yeah, but any more than that, <laughs> you're asking too much. Um, what about... One of the big things with the podcast is is generally mental health. And without asking you to kind of go into, you know, a very personal detail, do you find that, let's talk about mood, uh, do you find that there is a kind of unbreakable bond between how you're doing in your career, how things are going in that office, with how you feel in terms of how happy you are? Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. I think, you know, when I'm working... When I see that I'm being subbed for things, when I'm getting castings, um, I feel better about myself. I feel more successful. But I also f think there's a positive correlation between how busy I am in general, not necessarily, not necessarily getting acting work, but if I am going to workshops or going to see theatre, it still makes me feel like I'm part of the industry. And for me, anyway, just feeling like I'm part of the industry by behaving like I am makes me feel more positive about myself. It's not always to do with whether I'm getting the roles. So is that a coping mechanism you've developed then? Is that something oh, yeah, yeah. you keep busy? Definitely, definitely. Like if I'm not getting any acting work and I'm not doing anything else and I'm not kind of seeing my friends and talking about acting, then I, I feel completely disconnected. And, and then I look at my life and I go, oh my God, you haven't done anything else with your life. So, so you work in here. How, how, how often do you work in here? Once a week. Once a week. You have to do other things, I'm guessing, then, to pay for your nice room. Yeah. I um, So I've done promo for years. I still do promo. Um, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I can kind of pick it up and drop it when I need it. I've also started uh, movement directing, which is a bit of a change of direction for me. Uh, I've, done a, I've done a few fringe things in that respect. But those little jobs have led to phone calls for other jobs. Um, so that is kind of tentatively taken off. Um, You'd be great at that, actually. Um, so then, do you think you'll always have to do other jobs? Or do you think 
I mean, other jobs as in promo, I guess, isn't something that you would want to be doing no. long term. I mean, right? there's, there's definitely like an age limit on women in promo. Like, and men. Definitely. You know, like, <laughs> this is an age limit on promo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't want to have to do it, you know, for the rest of my life. But I'm not afraid of hard work if it pays the rent, if, if I can't pay it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we talked about this actually at the grind table still available on YouTube, um, on the Spotlight channel, not on my channel, because um, I don't have one. Um, we talked a little bit about that idea of, of, and it comes down to, again, a business thing, which is, say for example, in 10 years time, we were to meet again, and you had a similar level of income to what you had recently, you had say got a bit more movement directing which was filling the gap the promo now fills uh, so your income over the course of the year overall things roughly the same um would you still be happy to do it yeah yeah i think it's just i'm, I'm gonna keep doing it on while for as long as i love it and as soon as you know whilst i can still pay my bills and pay my rent and have the odd nice thing uh, you know, I'm not overly materialistic, so it doesn't matter to me if I can't get a holiday every year. Whilst I still love it, then I'm still going to do it. If it gets to the point where I'm struggling to make ends meet and I'm not enjoying it anymore, then I'll just, I'll reassess. Uh, is acting your biggest income, do you think, in the past year? Um, hmm. I'd say, honestly, it's 50-50 acting promo. Um, do, you th do you expect that it will be more towards acting in 10 years' time? Yeah. Um, do you think it's been a successful two years since we last met? Definitely. Do you feel like you've, it's been, you've hit the things you wanted to hit? Yeah, and, and also things that I didn't expect to hit, like the, the movement work, um, becoming like more of a physical theatre performer. I didn't see that coming. Um, yeah, I feel very satisfied in the way things have gone and feel like I definitely have more direction, and which was what I wanted. That's I kind yeah. of my objective was find out who you are as a performer and and find a path. And I feel like I have found a path. It might not be the one that I, that I stick with, but right now, just having a, a direction. Um, and was training worth yeah. it then? That was one of the questions yes, I think came out of. Definitely worth it. Um, you had, uh, you mentioned having had a few wobbles mm. the last time we chatted in terms of, I guess just in terms of that question about, you know, is this the right path? It seems like those have been put behind you, but have there yeah. been in the past two years? I mean, has that been a recent development or did you come out of training with a newfound resolve that has been unchallenged since? Um, I had wobbles during training of, oh my God, am I any good at this? Am I actually any good at this? Um, but I guess what I've, the, the, what I've, so the training and the technique and the skills and all of that was amazing. And I've learned so many new things, but actually for me, the big thing that I've learned is about who I am and how. I want to be perceived and about like things like levels of respect um, in a rehearsal room and in an audition room and 
how to treat myself with respect and what I will and won't ex accept in terms of behaviour from other people in the industry anymore. I'm a bit more militant about that than I used to be. That's been really, yeah, knowing your worth. Maybe that's it, knowing your worth as a, as a performer. I would say that's what I've learnt most. I don't know if that's directly answering the question. I've sort of gone around the houses a bit. It's not, <laughs> it's not, not answering the question. Have you considered giving up? Has it ever got to the point, either during training or since, where you've thought, even momentarily, yeah, this isn't for me? No. I've, I mean, I've had, I had tough moments, really tough moments, but there was always that, that kind of like, I'm onto something, I'm finding it difficult, but I'm, I am onto something. Um, and I still have that sense of I'm onto something. I've not quite found it, I've not quite landed where I'm meant to be, but I've got that kind of hunger for it. Do you feel like, um, I, I used to feel like I started late, so I, I properly committed the acting when I was 29. And I'm 39 now. And I used to think, oh, we should fucking made that call at 21. And then other times it'd be like, thank God I didn't make that call at 21. And then people will say to me, casting directors have said to me, this is a good time. Like this is a good time for you. Whatever is a good time is a good time. Yeah. Have you felt, and this isn't me saying per old Jen, old <laughs> lady Jen, but as being older than say the other women that we had in that group of seven. And certainly I guess, I imagine being at the upward kind of of your, of your yeah, year group. Yeah, I was, yeah. Have you felt your age as a benefit or as a hindrance at any point and and? Which sensation has kind of won out? What, what do you think it is on balance? Um, I would say it's been a benefit because I look back at myself when I started in the industry when I was 21 and I didn't know shit. Like, honestly, I didn't know shit. I didn't even, re it was almost like, I, I, can, I can barely remember anything from drama school. Like, none of it stuck. Um, so it's been an absolute benefit to to really be able to appreciate what I have or had whilst I had it when I was training. You know, I really was like, I'm so aware of what it's taken to get me here and the worth of what it, I'm doing right now. And I think one of the reasons that I got an agent so quickly was because of having that few years experience and that confidence to be like, Yes, I'd really like to, you know, sign with you, but it's not the end of the world because I also am prepared to keep continuing either way. Um, so, yeah, it's a benefit. Sometimes I find myself in a room with, you know, very beautiful young act actors and I go, oh, I'm never going to get this one. <laughs> but I suppose... You probably don't want that one is the thing. Yeah. I chatted to Joanna Scanlon for the podcast recently, episode coming out soon, <laughs> and uh, she was brilliant about that, actually. She said that the young women like that that are that are still, sadly, very much cannon fodder of the industry that are used up that and then discarded, and that actually for her never having been in that group, because she started older as well, she mm. was, did a lot of like amateur stuff, never being part of that group, was a real kind of benefit or at least a relief. I think I also skipped that group, not through 
uh, not been in the industry, but obviously I kind of started doing TIE straight away. So I missed out on all of those commercial castings and uh, auditions and stuff because I was doing TIE for many years. So I also was not really in that room for a different reason. Um, it seems like you are on a course that will continue regardless of external forces. It feels like you're very much self-determining, which is a very yeah, positive thing. Yeah, I hope thing. so. I hope so. Where would you like that self-determination to take you in the next two years? Like, say we met again, end of 2020. I <laughs> know. Um, <laughs> it is vomit-inducing. Um, say we met again, end of 2020, another two years. Where would you like to be? What questions, I guess, would you like me to be asking and how would you like to be answering them is, is a very odd and roundabout the way of asking that same question. I'd like um, my movement direction stuff to have taken me somewhere. I feel like I'm just dipping my toes in the water of that at the moment, but I'm finding that I'm getting a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. I'd like that to be a little bit more solid. So that's going to be on the list of questions. Put it on the list. Yeah. Um, I'm still in that funny place where I'm getting seen for auditions and castings, but I'm not really getting seen for the big stuff. There I'd will like, be I'd like hundreds, that to start thousands of people listening, thinking you and me both. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but how do you how do you cross that little bridge into, yes, I'm getting seen, but I'm not really getting seen for the stuff that I'd really like to be seen for. How does that happen? But that's, yeah, I'd like to... I know I'm a realist. I'm not talking about kind of hopes and dreams. Yeah. I'm talking about two years. It's not that far away. It's quick, but also it's long enough for significant change. Yeah. There have been two year periods in my career, <coughs> career where I it's almost incomparable two years later, and yet yeah. still nobody knows who I am. Like, <laughs> that, but outside the industry, people expect that that's the only, it's either. Nobody knows who you are, everybody knows who you yeah. are, there's nothing in between. There are a million different varieties of things in between mm. and all of them are much, much more interesting than everybody. I'd just like to be a bit further along doing, you know, tip that balance to, you know, 60% acting, 40% promo, just a bit further along and continuing in, in that direction. Sounds realistic. Sounds like you're setting yourself up to surpass expectations. <laughs> Cle clever move. I see what you've done here. All right, that's, that's, that's it. Listen, it has been really nice catching up and also just kind of getting a sense of actually that level of realism and also self-determinism, which is kind of glorious to see that it's not a kind of a looking to above the clouds to an unseen, no, unknown, yeah. perhaps. I mean, that's not to say force. I've not struggled. You know, I've had moments of like, I'm not getting seen for anything and I'm not kind of making any further steps. It's just saying to myself, like, oh, yeah, days like this will happen and they'll happen regularly, but you just keep going and that's it. <laughs> Good note to finish on. I shall see you at the end of 2020. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's it for another Emerging Actors Chat. Six more of those are available this very day on this very same podcast outlet. 
But before I let you go and listen to those, I have some thank yous. Thank you to Jennifer Kay and Louise Waller, the assistant producers on this. Thank you also to Theatre Delhi and 1984 Personal Management in whose spaces I recorded the interviews. Theatre Delhi, you can follow on Twitter at Theatre Delhi. You can also find out more about what they do at theaterdelhi.co.uk. So thanks to both Theatre Delhi and 1984, to Louise and to Jennifer. And don't forget... Series 3 is coming your way very soon. Make sure you're automatically set up to download it. And there's also a live podcast event for TUC Young Workers Month in association with Equity that's also available this very day. The guests on that, Emily Barrington and Sean Biggerstaff, it's well worth a listen. Have a go. Anyway, I'll speak to you soon when Series 3 is out. Take care of yourself. Speak to you soon. Listener.